Well, following um, on with our theme, making room for more as we build the new children's centre, which is incredibly exciting, and also extend the building so we can make room for more people here. This morning, I want to explore how, as a church, we can make room for more, but specifically for those that don't have families, and particularly through fostering and adoption, but also wider than that as well. I want us just to kind of explore a bit of the impact on us as individuals, how um, our church can respond, and how we can serve our city in this way. I'm going to share a bit of mine and Tom's story, then through a number of media pieces, capture personal stories and experiences. At this point, I just want to like, take a little step out and just say, I want to say a massive thank you to the media team. We don't we'll probably take it for granted that week in, week out, we get incredible visuals and films, and it's kind of part of who we are. But behind the scenes, they work incredibly hard, and they have to really um, catch the vision and passion of what we're wanting to communicate to make what they do. So I think we should give them a round of applause. So today, I'm just hoping in this next sort of 40 minutes or so, we'll just catch God's heart, that we'll become more aware and also think about how we might respond individually and as a church. What I want to reassure you now is that I'm not um, trying to persuade um, anyone here or everyone here to foster and adopt. It's, that clearly wouldn't be right for everybody. But for me, it's more about having the opportunity to communicate the passion and commitment as a church to encourage and to engage those that do and support young people that are impacted in, in this way as they come through our church. I also hope, as I say, that we'll think a bit wider about young pe people generally and what impact we can have on their lives. Maybe young people we have connection with uh, through families, um, through our communities, our everyday kind of life here at church. But we have an opportunity to consider how we might reach out, respond, connect, support, and come alongside, and actually make more room in our lives, in our families, and in our homes. Interesting, out of interest, um, be great to know, if you'd be up for it, who here is either um, works with fostering and adoption, or, or your work brings you in, in touch with kids in care, or maybe you are a foster carer, or you've adopted. Would you mind just standing, just so we can kind of just see what, how many people are involved? Do you know, that's, I think we need to give them a round of applause. That's amazing, amazing. Yeah, amazing. I know behind the scenes, um, you guys do an incredible, incredible job, so bless you for that. And we'd love to pray for you later as well. So God's heart then. So there's no doubt, uh, probably in any of our minds who know and love Jesus, that God is a God of compassion and justice. Jesus' whole life, as you read the Gospels, were just spent reaching out to the broken, the hurting, the lost, and those in need. His starting point was always compassion. And then in some sort of practical way, he would restore, heal, bless them. And as a church, we've made this a priority right from the beginning when the church started 20 years ago to um, make it a core value to reach out in our community, our city, in so many different ways. The Bible is clear, though, that throughout the Old and New Testament, there's a reference made again and again to the importance of caring for orphans and God's heart for them and actually the consequences if we don't. A couple of verses uh, from the psalm, Psalm 82, verse 3 and 4, says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. 
Rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Psalm 146 verse 9 says, The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. And my favourite passage on this subject, because it's just so direct and clear, is from James 1. Um, Do look it up if you want, because we'll be looking at this a little bit, and it'll come up on the screens. And it says this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You can't get much clearer than that. I love that James is one of those direct, kind of to the point kind of leaders. And if you get a chance to read the book of James, um, it's quite short, which is always a good thing, uh, but it's brilliant. And it just gets you um, just feeling passionate and inspired to actually do something. It contains a real uh, call to action, a plea for a faith that demonstrates itself, not just in words, but in a lifestyle. You know, if James was our boss, We'd get up probably on a Monday morning and he'd motivate us with words like, don't tell me what you want to accomplish, show me. Just get on and do it. He's an activist who labels as self-deceived those who say they're going to do something but never do it. And I quite like straight-talking people, so it's a great, a great book. Another translation of the same verse says this, here, here are the beliefs and the way of life that God our Father accepts as pure and without fault. When widows are in trouble, take care of them. Do the same for children who have no parents. And it's amazing that, to think, wow, the, what the, God the Father accepts as pure and without fault to take care of children who have no parents. In this passage and other passages, it often li- links widows and orphans because they will have represented society's probably most uh, desperate and helpless. Now, widows in that culture were women who'd actually lost their husbands before having children. It would always be assumed that children would take care of them. And they would have been left destitute. I mean, I'm thankful to say, I think in this uh, culture, certainly in our country, that wouldn't happen the same way. And similarly, children without parents in that culture also would have been incredibly vulnerable. But I actually believe that they are in our culture today, and even in our city. So if we think about our awareness, on any one day, there are 65,000 children in care in the United Kingdom. That's 65,000 young people who have probably, or will most certainly, have had to deal with some kind of crisis, trauma, and been taken from their birth family. And there's many reasons for that, many reasons why young people come into care. It might be physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, behaviors beyond parents' control, bereavement, alcohol, drug abuse, mental health issues, relationship breakdowns, and many, many other things. There are newborn babies, toddlers, school-aged children, teenagers, young mums who are pregnant, young mums and their babies, children with special needs, sibling groups, different backgrounds, different cultures, and different faiths, all needing a home, a family and love, and a safe, stable place to grow and to thrive. And I just think, what an incredible opportunity we have to do something. I think it's easier to ignore the needs or not allow our emotions to be impacted before we know names, see faces, hear stories, 
see and touch for ourselves. It's more comfortable just to keep a bit of a safe distance. But once we do, everything changes. I remember um, seeing this picture some time ago, and uh, whilst it wasn't a, a genuine photograph, I think it doesn't take away from the impact. And the artist wanted to illustrate uh, a young girl who had no mum and was longing just to feel that embrace of love and connection that only a family can bring. Mother Teresa said, the hunger for love is so much more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread. So for Tom and I and uh, our family, the call for us, if you like, started back in 2007. And I remember we were at a, a Christian camp, um, don't really like camping, but we were there. And um, we were there with our family. And just towards the end of the week, I was just feeling like, I don't know, I was a bit fed up and I was, I was again, tired of camping. And I was thinking, asking God, you know, what am I about? What am I for? And particularly for the next season of life as my girls were growing up. And, and I just felt really restless. And to be honest, I was in a bad mood and grumpy, if I'm really honest. Anyway, I said to Tom, I said, you know, I just need to, I just need to go home. I just want to go home. I need some space. So he very graciously said, fine, go home. That's, that's fine. So off I went, drove back down the motorway. And the next day, I took myself out for coffee. Cafe Nero in Beeston, sat outside in the little garden bit. And I just started, just sat there with my coffee, and I was like, you know, Jesus, you know, what have you got for the next phase? I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. And I, I felt, as much as one can, just reminded, God said to me, you're called to be a mother. And I thought, yeah, that makes sense. I've got four great daughters, and yeah. But then, suddenly in my head, I thought, we could foster. We could foster. And then it was like, you know how, well, something inside me just woke up to this feeling like, maybe that's God speaking. And I was, I was so excited, and I'm quite an impulsive person anyway, so I ring Tom, I'm like ringing him, and he answers, and he answers in a whisper, and he's like, hello, I can't speak now, something's happening to me, I'll have to call you back. So, quite frankly, I was irritated, because I'm like, I'm, I'm excited, I've got to tell you what we're doing. Anyway, an hour later, I'm come waiting, waiting, can't wait to give him my re revelation. Anyway, he, he eventually does call me back, and um, he rang back, and he said, um, Helen, I've had an amazing experience. I was in a seminar and someone was reading from James 127 about the orphans and I just feel this overwhelming sense we should foster. And I went, that's amazing. Well, they stole my thunder, which is a bit irritating. But anyway, so I was like, that's amazing, Tom. I've, I've just sat and, and rolled out my story. So it was like amazing that kind of um, different locations, but at the same time, God spoke to us. And that doesn't happen very often, certainly not in my experience. And then incredibly, the next morning, so I'm kind of already thinking about it, again, being an early adopter of ideas, and the next day, we had something posted through our, our letterbox by a guy, to be honest, we hadn't seen for probably a couple of years, and he just, he just posted this through, and he said, you never know what joy you might find among the unwanted. And I'm like, that feels like God is really speaking to us. So then we were kind of asked ourselves, well, it's not so much why should we, but why wouldn't we? We have a home, we've got love to give, and God really seemed to be speaking. Now, I have to be honest, at that stage, I was in romantic phase, and I was picturing like the Waltons, you know, and uh, a home all beautifully like with, you know, pink and blue quilts and lots of children and it all just being bliss. So that was good, so that got me going. So we got, you know, um, we got a, a social worker come and she was amazing for us, real God's provision, she was incredible. And we went through the whole kind of approval system, which was quite straightforward, in fact, I quite enjoyed it because we could talk about ourselves quite a lot, um, so that was good. Um, and our backgrounds and our families and all of that. And then at the end, we had like the big day uh, of like, we went to Panama 
panel and we were approved. And again, it felt like such a sense of excitement and, and achievement, really. And, uh, and then, of course, a few weeks later, um, just as Tom has booked a holiday for himself to go skiing, I get a phone call saying, we have a young boy for you, would you be interested? So you read a little sheet about them, and of course, I'm like, oh, crumbs, yes, of course we are. And then the day came, and I remember like being in the house on my own, and I was literally pacing up and down like an expectant mother or something, I don't know, and um, just incredibly nervous, incredibly excited, not knowing what to expect, but also just terrified, like, what have we done, what have we done? And then I see um, a car pull up, and I'm pretending not to look, but I'm twitching the curtains, you know, and like, looking and then I see this little boy because you don't get to meet them before so it's all on kind of a bit of paper I see this little boy with a cap on and his, his head's down and he's holding a little toy car and um, and he comes in and kind of make him welcome do all of that and it's almost like that was a defining moment for us and it was the beginning of what has been 10 years for Tom and I uh, fostering and 17 young people coming through our home and I have to be honest again, every child we had was my last. It was like, no, we've done it now. That's great, God. We've done what you've asked us. But then I'd hear another story. It would capture my heart again. And uh, I'd be like, oh, no, yes, that's fine. And then they'd come again. Children from all different backgrounds, different reasons, different lengths of time, from like some for a week and others for years. It's been a real, um, yeah, really different. But there was one a young person we had stay with us for the longest, um, actually since she was nine, many of you will, will know her. And she was with us, yeah, pretty much from nine, and then she's just left care at 18. And, um, and I do consider her very much as one of my daughters, very much part of our family. And that's Darcy, and I thought you'd like to hear her story. I grew up in Nottingham. I've been in foster care since I was eight. I didn't have many memories from when I was little, but I do know my real dad died in a car crash when I was two. My mum then met my stepdad, and they brought me up till I was eight. They both liked to drink a lot, and I mean a lot. It was hard for me to wake them up sometimes. I was found hanging out the window by the fire brigade, um, because my mum and dad had passed out because of how drunk they were. Our house was pretty chaotic. I was good at looking after myself and would feed myself, but often didn't bother having breakfast or tea. My dog, Lucky, was my best friend. We'd do everything together. We'd sleep together. We'd go play together. I would sometimes mimic her. But one thing she did do that wasn't very nice was go to the toilet in my room. Obviously, I didn't have a key, so I couldn't let her out, and no-one else did. I really loved her, though. My mum had an accident and fell downstairs and ended up in a wheelchair. I'm not sure when social services got involved, but I had to go into care. When I first went into care, I was very small and not as healthy and strong as I should have been. It was OK, but felt strange being somewhere different. I was told, despite all that was going on in my life, that was very difficult. I was always full of energy, positive, and loved being busy, doing lots of things. I loved cuddles and being carried and getting lots of attention. I can't remember how I felt at this time in my life. It's all a bit of blur. But then sadly, my mum passed away. This was very upsetting because 
she was the main thing. She was my mum. You lose her, it's just the worst. <laughs> my foster care and social worker told me that this had happened and we went to see her body and I got a footprint and a handprint to remember her by. I went to Cornwall with my foster family straight after. We stayed in a big house. It was my first time on holiday. We went to the beach. I drove a boat. We collected shells. I'd never seen the sea before. I liked being in a family. I now had four grown-up sisters who I had fun with and looked out for me. I was even a bridesmaid when one of them got married. I had always wanted to be a bridesmaid in a posh dress. It has not been easy. I do get upset, angry and frustrated and can't handle all of my feelings sometimes. I have had lots of cuddles and told how loved I am. I like being part of church and go on some of the great youth weekends away and camp and even got to be on team last year at the summer camp. Sadly, my stepdad died recently. I couldn't believe it when I was told. It's hard to lose so many people. I cope by keeping busy, doing lots of things. I love going out on my bike, playing across the park, and was always happy to chat and make friends with everyone I met. I finally moved out of care when I was 18. I felt ready. My foster family are there for me, even though I have now left. My foster family changed my life. My life hasn't been easy, but now I'm feeling positive and I am excited about the future. It amazes me um, the incredible resilience of some of these young people despite all that they have been through. So as I reflect back over um, the past 10 years for us, I would probably say it is the best thing we have ever done. But I'd also say, with all honesty, it's the hardest thing we've ever done. We've probably had it all thrown at us in one way or another. We've been verbally abused, we've been physically assaulted. We've had a young person who would abscond most weeks, which was just exhausting when you're up till three, four in the morning, hoping that uh, they were okay. I've been called into school so many times, and um, quite frankly, sometimes I wanted to wear a T-shirt, this is not my child, uh, that behaviors that, you know, um, we've been stolen from, we've had things smashed up, we've had young people come to us, again, for all kinds of reasons, and some of their stories are just desperately heartbreaking. There's been times it's been incredibly painful to say goodbye, or other times I'm wishing that I could. I've been on my knees. I can think of a number of occasions being in my bedroom on my knees, saying, God, I cannot do this anymore. I can't do it, I can't do it. And then like God's grace somehow enabling us to carry on. So I'd say it's not for the faint-hearted. But the positive, being an ordinary family, which we are, that can give love, has made a huge difference to those young people's lives. We've seen young people begin to thrive, to grow in self-confidence, to achieve in hobbies, education, and goals that they've had. We've begun to see the impact of love 
just melting um, young people's hearts. We've seen some come to faith and encountered Jesus, and um, a couple of them actually got baptized um, a year or maybe a bit longer ago. And that was just such a privilege for us. You know, it's been such a blessing being part of this community and um, you as a church embracing many of the children, not just our children, but other people who foster and adopt as well. And that made such a difference. You know, the, the kids team, um, the, the youth team, because quite honestly, there were some challenging behaviours and yet they never kind of made us feel awkward or said they couldn't be around and that was amazing. We've had individuals who have supported us. Um, one particular, a a Amy Bevan, I don't know if she's here, but she was just such a blessing in that um, she would offer to babysit just what we needed. She'd often say, oh, bring Darcy around, we'll have her for tea, we'll do this. And I cannot tell you that bit of respite with somebody else who would love on our uh, foster child was amazing. We've seen um, many young people reconcile to their birth family. And I think for Tom and I, that was always our passion. How could we also work with the families to see that, that, uh, those relationships restored? And we saw that many, many times. And we've even seen a couple go on to be adopted to their like forever families, and that's uh, been amazing again. But one question I often get asked, and maybe you would want to ask it, is how has it impacted my own children, bearing in mind I have four daughters? So um, this is what they have to say. When mum and dad first said that they, we were going to foster, I remember being really excited. Um, nobody else at school that I knew that I had fostered or had been fostered. And it was something that our family was doing that was like, unique and special. And um, yeah, it was just different. And I remember being excited about starting it. I can't really remember it that much, but I do remember having like a family meeting. And we all sat down and mum and dad like, pitched this idea. And we, I just remember being really excited and thinking, yeah, like, like there was no question to ask, like when do we start? Yeah. I think some, some of the children, like really, you fell in love with them. Yeah. Not all of them, but there's some, which is amazing really, to just choose to do that as a family. Mm. But hard at the same time, because then you have to say bye to them and you don't want to. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just you have to do, because you remember that it's not just about you, you need to and lead them onto a better, a better home that's more permanent, so it's good, but also sometimes you're a bit like selfish, like, oh no, I want you to stay. Oh, yeah. Dad was heartbroken with one little boy, wasn't he? Well, he was, he was four, yeah. wasn't he? So he was so cute, like, oh, he's just adorable, like, go swimming every Saturday and, like, me and Dad would drop him off for his like visits every Saturday morning, and like go for an IKEA breakfast, and just like a little it, having routine, like just doing those things, like having the set thing. Like, oh, we're gonna walk down the canal, that you just and he don't loved do. It, and yeah. he just loved it so much. Came into his own, didn't I? No, I've literally yeah. just remembered. In the mornings, you'd hear him singing, singing, singing in his bedroom. Aww. You'd hear him singing, and you'd know he's awake, and you'd like so run in. Yeah, he was gorgeous. Boy. I think. Um, being in a family and having other children coming into the house, it wasn't always easy or fun. I remember that one young man who I just struggled with from the moment that he arrived. And I like, tried my best and I remember having to sit down with mum and say, I'm really sorry but if he doesn't go, I'm going to go. Yeah, he, did. he stayed for like 
I don't think it was even a week. No, I just, it wasn't the right placement for him and it, well, it wasn't working for me, so that meant. Did mum listen to you? Yeah, she did and I was so relieved. But it was great because she did listen to me and then it, he moved on. But it was hard because I felt bad as well because I didn't want to say I don't like him. It wasn't about not liking him, but that was really hard. Think of um, the girl that we had for the longest when she arrived. We'd never seen anything like it. No. I remember vividly um, her arriving and it being really close to her birthday. And on her birthday, we'd got a cake and all sat round as we would do. And it wasn't even like a huge thing for us. It was just like an evening. She was absolutely overwhelmed. She'd never had a cake, never celebrated a birthday, I don't think. So she was in total shock. And I remember saying, I've never had a cake. Is this what you do on your birthday? So that was the beginning of a huge difference. And she's grown up to be such a beautiful, young woman really hasn't she you know and, and like you say from the difference from, from first meeting her um, it's incredible to see the transformation I think with a lot of kids you definitely I've witnessed a lot of them become so angry and like a bit crazy but definitely see yeah I think you definitely see them calm down and like feel love yeah I think when when they're actually shown some love and care and rather than if they do something bad being shouted at actually being like, oh well. But don't you think yeah. it's crazy? Because for us, we didn't do anything. We weren't trying, we yeah. were just, just being. being our family and including them in that. Yeah. And that's all it took for their lives to completely change. I would definitely say that it did bring us together as a family because we had to work together and we had to be strong for each other and also for the child coming in. Yeah, even with mum and dad, it was never they were looking after the kid and then it was just like we were just doing our own thing. It was always a full team effort. And I think that the good has always outweighed the bad. Like, it can be difficult, but it was never really horrible. It was more rewarding. Well, when those challenges came, as a family, we had to rise. Yeah. Rise to it and... I think it's definitely changed my life. The way I teach now as a teacher and the way I um, communicate and interact with children from experiences that I've had fostering, that's really helped me to connect to them and understand what children are going through, definitely. Um, and it's changed the children's lives. You know, seeing them come in and then leave has tra transformed and completely changed. It's been amazing. I couldn't be more proud to be part of that. That's what it's really about for me. Yeah. We should probably tell them and dad that more. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they have done a good job. Yeah. <laughs> just, just to reiterate what they said, it's very easy to think like, oh, that family have got it all together. Believe you me, we are incredibly ordinary, down to earth, and um, yeah, I could do a video about all the things we got wrong, and uh, but obviously I haven't done that today. I've got time for it. Anyway, um, so. That's, we've kind of hit a lot on fostering there, but what about adoption? And I thought you'd like to hear um, a story from uh, Steve, and we've managed to record it. I've always wanted to be a dad. I've always loved getting involved with youth. I've always loved just helping the underprivileged kids and just trying to make a difference in their lives. And I guess ultimately, I've always been really excited about being a father myself. So I met Anna, my wife, on a blind date. 
and uh, we just clicked from the get-go and it was just just amazing time. She also had a daughter called Alita. Anna having Alita never fazed me one little bit. Um, she's my stepdaughter but I love her as my own daughter. So obviously after getting married we started thinking about having children together. Um, obviously over the years we were trying and nothing was happening so of course we went and had tests and stuff like that and the unfortunate news was that we wouldn't be able to have children together. So knowing that myself and Anna couldn't have children was obviously a bit of a wounder um, but at the same time I had to realise I had a litre and that was amazing in itself. So I guess a real breakthrough in our story was when I was helping out at a youth conference, uh, DTI, and I was just minding my own business, just standing at these kind of like gate things. And then one of my old friends who'd just been to America, he was about 20 metres away, but I could see him. He was just coming straight towards me. And literally the first thing he said to me was like, you're having problems having kids, aren't you? I was like, what? I don't know, you know, and he said it again. And I was like, <clears throat> how could he know that? Because only literally myself, Anna, and my best friend knew the situation. So it was like, it was a bit of a light bulb moment. And then he basically said after that, you know, you, you know you can adopt. And I was like, oh. It just kind of like got, got me thinking. And literally I walked out, phoned Anna up, who was on holiday, and I just went, I need to speak to you, you know, as soon as I get to you, basically. The camp finished, I drove straight down to holiday, met with Anna, told her the news. She'd been thinking about it as well. And literally that day, she put in a call to our adoption agency, who we went with and who we adopted with. I guess like, the motivation of adopting and going through the process was one of just actually wanting to give a child that, you know, potentially will have nothing, something. Um, a loving home, a big sister, um, and just, just love. So the adoption process for us uh, consisted of a year's training um, and then obviously we were approved which was amazing and then you get onto the bit which you think is going to like change your life and it's just going to happen but for us it definitely did not. Um, so when you are approved you obviously get a database of children that are on it that you look through and you apply for. So we went in for a few children, um, we got really far on a few of them and it takes all your energy, all your emotional energy. Um, and when you get that call and it's no, you're like, oh, you, you know, your heart's been ripped out, you're just wounded. Um, and like I say, it affects your home life, your relationship with your wife, because um, it's just a real struggle. Um, you've loved that child that you've not had and they've gone. And then you have to pick yourself back up, go on to the next child and just keep going. So it's, it is a really tough, tough process. But some people may, you know, adopt the first child they see and that is amazing but for some people it can be a really long uh, just gruelling experience but ultimately absolutely amazing and well worth it. So the first time we saw Sophie's profile it was a little black and white picture um, I kind of like let it let it go by but then it kind of just drew drew back to me and um, the information on it was pretty harrowing but gradually my heart warmed to it and um, their agency got in touch with us and asked if we wanted to actually apply for her there was a meeting held and it just went step by step on from there. Through the process there's been some major God moments um, but I think the one that meant the most to me was we went down to Sophie's foster carers. Um, we obviously didn't see her uh, because we hadn't adopted her by then but we went to see the foster carer and we were in her house and we were just talking obviously but then at the end she took us up to 
um, Sophie's bedroom. Um, it was just myself, the foster carer, and Anna there, and you could see the little bed Sophie would be in. And um, basically, the foster carer just threw her arms around Anna and just like said, oh, you know, this is your baby, God's got this baby for you. And it was just, that was the God moment that like really said to me, Sophie is, is gonna be my daughter. And it was just amazing. And, and from that day on, no matter what kind of hurdles would come, come our way, uh, Sophie was our daughter and we'd do anything for her. Meeting Sophie for the first time was amazing, scary, nerves. Um, I remember walking in the room and she seemed so little, she was just on a little play mat. And it was, it was just amazing to think that this is gonna be my daughter. So it's been about six months now since we've had Sophie and the change we've seen in her is, it's amazing. But yeah, just having her where she is, fitting into part of the family, having a big sister in Alita, it's just amazing and I wouldn't change a thing. So I was talking to Anna the other morning and we were both just amazed that Sophie has actually been with us for six months. It feels like she's been with us forever. Um, just really part of the family. We love her to bits and, and the, the most amazing thing I think we're most excited about is just seeing her grow, seeing the kind of person she'll grow in, into and just to be able to be part of that is just going to be an amazing adventure. So then as we kind of come into closer to landing, how might we respond? Um, and I'd like to introduce Kat to you, um, give her a round of applause as she comes up. And uh, she's just going to share a bit of her story, but also um, the heart that we have as a church to actually um, take this a bit further. Hi guys. Um, so Helen's asked me to share a bit of my story with you and what I do here at Trent. Um, so I'm a specialist foster carer for Notts County Council. I was approved in August 2014 and I took in my first placement a couple of months later. I remember at the time several people were asking me why as a 20-something I would do something like that. Um, and I think certainly amongst my friends they were just a bit confused. Um, there's an assumption that you can't foster if you're single or if you're in your 20s. And I'd just like to say there's loads of different foster carers out there in lots of different homes from lots of different situations and backgrounds. Um, and if nothing else, this Friday, the event that we're running, Fostering and Adoption um, Information Evening, um, is basically just to kind of dispel some of those myths and a great opportunity to ask questions. During the approval process, I was also living in a rented two-bedroom flat that didn't have a garden. Again, another popular assumption is that you need to own your own home with a garden, you know, preferably in the suburbs. People often say to me that you're amazing, but I could never do what you do. And I, I tend to answer them with thanks, but kind of, why not? I feel like I'm just an ordinary person. Helen's ordinary, kind of. 
we're all, we're all a little bit special, but you know, we're ordinary actually. And, um, and I've always been slightly rebellious. Being the middle child really didn't help. I remember when I was at school, I applied for my parents to become foster carers without them <laughs> even knowing. It's <laughs> brilliant. I even filled out the forms and responded to the emails on their behalf. I must have been about 13, 12 or 13. Um, nothing much seems to have changed in my personality. But thankfully, it's now become acceptable for me to try and persuade people to do it. And actually, my brother and my sister-in-law are now fostering to adopt a baby. And my parents are uh, considering providing support care. So it works eventually. <laughs> Since trying to sign my parents' lives away, I've been working. I've worked in education, teaching children that have been excluded from school and also got a master's degree in counselling children and young people. I've done loads of research and training, and I'm so excited to be able to share that with some people, some people who are already fostering or adopting, but also those who are interested in becoming foster carers or adopters. I'm passionate about this, and I've recently given a day a week to do it to Trent to invest in fostering and adoption here and I want to be able to support people. I think it's an interesting challenge, isn't it, when we talk about making room for more, and we're actually, you know, we're doing it physically, but actually, what does that mean for us as individuals? And I think it's a challenge, isn't it, to go, okay, God, what, what does that look like for me to make room for more? The child that I care for now is a seven-year-old boy who's actually sat over there with his headphones in. <laughs> He, he has actually had four placements in the last year since February and he sees me as his forever family and when asked in the playground who I am he says I'm his fake mother, fake mum <laughs> and I've had him since November, we've had Christmas, day trips, Easter, holiday, all sorts of things, extreme highs and some really extreme lows as well, I can definitely say. And I'd be lying if I said that being a foster carer was rewarding all of the time because it definitely has its challenges. But he is now having a childhood that I hope will enable him to become a decent adult. And it's a privilege to do what I do. And I'm so proud of these kids. They are my family and it's definitely an epic adventure. Just to finish, I remember when I was working in education I visited a child in hospital who was at the time living in a residential home. She had tried to end her life and she was crying out for help. There weren't any staff available from her residential home to sit with her. So for several hours into the early hours, I just sat there. I was just there. When people ask me why I foster, I say it's because I know there are children out there who need people to care for them. You know, they need people just to love them and care about every aspect of their life. Every child deserves to experience love, security, and joy in their home, rather than the fear and the constant threat of danger. Could you do it too? Could you be a foster carer or an adopter? There are far too many children out there in our city who are experiencing abuse and neglect, and I've decided to do my bit to put an end to it. 
There are many different ways you could do foster care. There's support care, short-term, long-term, weekend stays, emergency. If you're even slightly interested, it's worth signing up for the event. We are running this Friday, the 28th of April. A team from Nottingham City Council, and it's lovely to have Sonia Kane here, are going to be there. And also Home for Good are going to be there too. And it'll be a great opportunity to ask questions, dispel myths, and find out how we as a church can love some of the most vulnerable children in our city. Thank you. Thanks, Kat. So, so inspiring. And yeah, really encourage you to try and make it to that evening. It will be a great opportunity to ask lots of questions. So I love that our church is known throughout the city to be generous, responsive to practical needs, serving, loving our communities in so many ways. We already are doing this stuff through ministries, through small groups, individuals, here in the city and much wider. I love that we have connections with India, Romania, Africa, Japan, and other countries just to reach out and respond to young people. But as we've kind of got the gist of hopefully this morning, we have a need right here on our doorstep in our city, in Nottingham. So just for a moment, just who do you know as a young person that maybe comes to your mind who you think, actually, I could just make a little bit of difference in that person's life in some way? Maybe a teenager who's struggling. Maybe you could just hang out with them, take them out for a coffee. Maybe a single parent family and you could maybe take them out for the day or, or invite them to your home. Maybe a friend of one of your own children. You just think, oh, they're struggling, they're, you know, maybe invite them over for tea. Maybe it's those um, terrifying kids that hang out in the park late at night and maybe like go out and hang out with them and chat to them and take them chocolate or whatever. Maybe you've got friends who you know are fostering and adopting and you're thinking, do you know what, I could maybe look after them, babysit, give a bit of childcare. I know for so many people fostering and adopting, that would be an incredible gift you could give them. I know that for ourselves. And maybe some of you here really do have a sense of call to have a young person uh, stay at your house to live, to, to foster or adopt them. In Psalm 68.5, it says, God sets the lonely in families. And we are to be the outworking of that. We are his hands and his feet. In a society and culture where family is so fragile now for so many reasons. So I just encourage you today and as the weeks go by, just, just think about that. What might our response be? What might it look like to fulfill what God's called us to do? It will mean we have to give, to get close. It won't always be easy. It will cost us something when God uses our hands to show compassion in this way. But you know, I sometimes think, who knows, small acts done with great love, the legacy and impact that we could have on people's lives that go way beyond our lifetime. And as we sow that in now, the generations that could be impacted.